Good morning. Two black Democrats are expelled from the Tennessee legislature for protesting gun violence. Trump is arrested and a victory for progressives in Wisconsin. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news. Tennessee Republicans retaliated against two black Democrats on Thursday, removing them from office after they participated in a protest calling for more gun control. It came in the aftermath of a deadly school shooting near Nashville. The visitors' gallery exploded in screams and boos following the final vote. A third Democrat, a white woman, narrowly survived the vote, sparking accusations of racism. The two expelled lawmakers may not be gone for long. County commissioners in their districts get to pick replacements, and they could opt to choose the two who would be eligible to run again. Under the Tennessee Constitution, lawmakers cannot be expelled for the same offense twice. And on Tuesday, as most of the world probably knows by now, Donald Trump became the first president in history to appear in court as a criminal defendant. Trump pleaded not guilty to 34 felony counts in the Manhattan courtroom. He then flew home to Florida, where he ominously denounced District Attorney Alvin Bragg and his wife. The criminal is the district attorney because he illegally leaked massive amounts of grand jury information. For which he should be prosecuted. Or, at a minimum, he should resign. And Alvin Bragg's wife confirmed a report that claimed her husband has Trump nailed on felonies. She has since locked down her Twitter account. But Bragg remains firm. He says no one is above the law. This case today is one with allegations like so many of our white-collar cases allegations that someone lied again and again to protect their interests and evade the laws to which we are all held accountable. As this office has done time and time again, we today uphold our solemn responsibility to ensure that everyone stands equal before the law. No amount of money and no amount of power changes that enduring American principle. Meanwhile, a media circus engulfed the streets around the courthouse in the hours before Trump arrived. Right-wing Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene showed up early to offer support, but was shouted down by the crowd. Other supporters of D.A. Bragg chanted at an intersection near where they hoped Trump would pass. Trump is not above the law. Trump is not above the law. No one is above the law. No one is above the law. Trump is not above the law. Trump is not above the law. Josh, a young anti-Trump protester, says Trump is an enemy of democracy. He was elected, unfortunately, by an electoral college that's not representative of the popular vote. Why are you here today? I'm here to protest Trump. I think he needs to face justice for the crimes he's committed. Where are you from? I'm from Brooklyn. And, uh, so uh, what do you think is going to happen here today? Do you think this is important? I mean, it's a minor charge in the way things... Uh, well, it's a minor charge when you compare it to a coup attempt, right? Or it, like stealing documents and refusing to turn them over and lying and saying you haven't done it. But mostly for a coup attempt, I think that's what I'm looking forward to him. You know, this is the First Amendment, so I'm here to celebrate it seems that. Like these guys have... Well, I think all narcissists like to think they can get away with things, and they like to, like to try as much as possible to prove that they're superior, and then I think truth catches up with them and justice catches up with them. 
something like 60% of Americans support the indictment. So, I mean, you know, I think that's the mainstream of the country. It wasn't long before pro and anti-Trump protesters rubbed up against each other. I didn't touch you. I would never touch you. I'd be afraid of what I would catch. You're a pathetic maggot slime. Get away from us. Pathetic maggot slime. Go away. Get away from here, you pathetic maggot slime. One prosecutor arrested Bill But a large number of pro-Trump demonstrators joined the crowd, and one person said there will be payback for leveling charges at the former president. We're here for really two things. One, support Donald Trump because he's being unjustly indicted. All this is bullshit, it's hot air, okay? We know it's nonsense because the district attorneys hired by Cy Vance to go after Trump. They both resigned, two of them resigned when Alvin Bragg came into office. They told the press before resigning that they have no case on Trump, okay? Now Alvin Bragg comes, brings this case back from the dead, and you know what, he still has no case. So what is the answer? He start picking up little things, little things that added up to 43 charges. 43 cases of nonsense charges, okay? And they're not gonna, they're not gonna stick, all right? That's one problem. Second problem is that we're in dangerous territory in which we have a prosecutor to start going after an elected that stepped out of office and say, let's go after him because of politics, all right? That's, that's bad because our other district attorneys is gonna follow suit, is gonna do the same thing. I'm waiting for the next Republican prosecutor to go after a Democrat elected to step down or some other some other similar cases. That's where we're going, all right? And that's bad. This is an abuse of the justice system. This is creative prosecution and it has to stop. Occupy Wall Street activist and award-winning ice skater Marnie Halasa was in costume for the second day. On Monday, she was at Trump Tower in Midtown in a red skin-tight devil outfit with horns and a sign saying, Trump should go, you know where. On Tuesday, she was a sexy cop with a Trump doll in handcuffs. I'm a police, sexy police officer putting Trump in jail. Anytime people can go out and protest in the streets, just like Occupy Wall Street days, it's important to come out, you know, and have a voice in, in our world. So, but I'm here, uh, new costume, Sexy police officer with Trump. Here's my my Trump doll, and he's handcuffed. So, you know, normal people do perp walks, right? Other normal people that commit crimes, but Trump doesn't have to do a perp perp walk. So this is my sort of um, I'm trying to energetically push and karmically push this in the right direction, so there's actually a real consequence. Activist Marnie Halasa. Other local characters were out in force. A woman in a rough bikini and a diaper, her skin painted white with a blonde wig, played the role of porn star Stormy Daniels, confronted a Trump supporter, and then invited this reporter to play the role of TV provocateur Jerry Springer. <laughs> he wants to f*** me. Is that Jerry Springer? Yeah. Jerry Springer! Yeah. Well, I, I'm his... Jerry! 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 Do you have a child with this man here? You're not. He's, I oh, him. you're the father. The both <laughs> of them. I fucked both of them. Okay, I we have the test. Who has the paternity <laughs> test? Stormy, are you Stormy Daniels? Yes, I am. I'm a white woman and they don't Did you ever me. have sex with Stormy Daniels? Yeah. 
The woman then expressed her anguish at the racism and sexism directed against her. I'll make her dick work. You'll make the shrinking head beetle Oh my God, he's so racist. He's mean. He's mean. I'm a white woman. I'm a white woman and I'll fuck Donald Trump for 130000 and I will keep quiet. I will keep quiet if I, uh, wait, what am I saying? I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty. Does size matter? No, not when it comes to 130,000. I will fuck anything. Do you check people's hands? Um, no. It's he can, be, he can even have STDs. I will still fuck him because it's 130,000. Oh, they got needles. The there. STD is in my diaper. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The STD is in my diaper. I'm a white woman. I'm a white woman. I'm a white woman. Believe that I'm a white woman, and I can do what I want because I'm white. I'm getting so offered so much small white penis. Oh. Oh. What do you want? What do you want? I have nothing to say. Follow my page, Crackhead Barney and Friends. I need the numbers up. Meanwhile, a Trump supporter from East Harlem expressed her love of the real estate developer and former president. They waiting for this man. He's a very important person today, whether he be guilty or not. Everybody loves him. What do you think of Donald Trump getting indicted? Being I, I, what do I think? Yeah, what do you think Everybody him? makes mistakes. And we if he can correct it, he should be good. Okay? We all make mistakes in life. What do you like about Donald Trump? It's not that I like. I, like, I love everybody. I'm a Christian. Christians love everybody. We all make mistakes. There's no perfect people in this world. Beatrice Elizabeth Drayton. Where are you from? I'm from Harlem, East Harlem. Longtime activist Dana Beal, an advocate for marijuana for many decades, compared the day's action to that of another former president famous for claiming, I am not a crook, Richard M. Nixon. I'm from this other separate group called the Watergate Reenactors. As you know, the Yippies, Zippies, White Panthers, were active in the Nixon impeachment. Sorely disappointed when he was pardoned. We were outraged. We've been trying to set that straight for 50 years. And you know that 50 years after the Yippie smoke-in at the Lincoln Memorial, when we took over the reflecting pool, when Trump gave a speech there, he built a fence to keep protesters from hopping into the reflecting pool. So I'm saying the institutional memory is there, Paul. And they remember that they once got a pardon, like, Trump can get Biden to pardon him, then he can pardon Putin. Trump is due back in court in December, and his singer strummed his guitar to busk the crowd as the sun dipped and Trump was whisked away. You're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. And Democrats had a big win in Wisconsin on Tuesday in a high-stakes race for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Janet Protasiewicz defeated former Justice Dan Kelly by a surprisingly large margin, fueled by unusually high voter turnout in a key swing state. Judge Protasiewicz claimed victory as the polls closed. As you all know, our state motto is forward. And today, I am proud that we are going to be able to live up to our motto. Our state is taking a step forward to a better and brighter future where our rights and freedoms will be protected.
reject. First, it means that Wisconsin voters have made their voices heard. They've chosen to reject partisan extremism in this state. And second, it means our democracy will always prevail. Wisconsin's Supreme Court is supposedly nonpartisan, but the difference between the candidates was stark. Dan Kelly, who represented Trump's attempt to throw out ballots from liberal areas of the state in 2021, refused to concede. I wish that in a circumstance like this, I would be able to concede to a worthy opponent. But I do not have a worthy opponent to which I can concede. This was the most deeply deceitful, dishonorable, despicable campaign I have ever seen run for the courts. It was truly beneath contempt. The executive director of Citizens Action of Wisconsin, Robert Craig, spoke with the news on Thursday. Progressives in Wisconsin, traditionally a very progressive state that's led the country, have gone through a lot of hard times in the last decade. Between Scott Walker, the, the elimination of uh, all collective bargaining rights and unions, the uh, gerrymandering of the legislature, the worst gerrymandering in the country. So no matter what the popular vote, Republicans are guaranteed a supermajority and they are far right Republicans and the takeover of the Supreme Court by business interests that really started in the 1990s, but has metastasized over the last decade. And so it was becoming what some scholars have said about Wisconsin is that we're not really a democracy anymore. We're an election, election autocracy in that we have the form of elections, but the outcomes are predetermined. And if that all else fails, since we have a governor that can still win statewide, the state Supreme Court will override him. So winning this race and shifting the balance of power is a welcome victory and has huge implications, uh, both in terms of potentially uh, restoring the right to uh, women's reproductive health, because we're now under the yoke of an 1849 archaic abortion ban, getting fair maps so that if the Democrats win the statewide vote, that we could actually control the legislature and govern and pass real reforms. A whole lot of other issues that have been stymied by this state Supreme Court, which has been under right-wing control, everything from eliminating voting rights to further limiting the rights of organized labor to always siding with corporations against individuals on pollution, on every corporate malfeasance you can imagine, the, the right-wing Supreme Court has reliably ruled on the side of corporate power against average people. Tell me about the new judge who was elected. What is her story? She's a Democrat. These are nonpartisan races, but everyone knows who's on what side. They might as well be partisan races. And she was clearer about her values. She, and she, then, she didn't play the game that your audience is familiar with in the U.S. Supreme Court nominees when they go through the confirmation process where they pretend that they can't answer questions because they might rule on them and then mislead everyone and then go and rule a certain way anyway. Abortion is a great example of that. She was a prosecutor. She spent a long time municipal court and family court judge in Milwaukee. She made it very clear her values, her personal values, is she believes that abortion is a constitutional right, women's reproductive health, and she believes that the maps are illegitimate, the legislative maps that have guaranteed super majorities by the Republicans. She garnered national funding. She outspent 
substantially her right-wing opponent who had billionaire support because whether or not we have a Supreme Court or not, that's a fair court in this state, determines potentially whether Wisconsin nullifies the popular vote in 2024 and sends its own electors up to Washington. Potentially, you could see a second coup by Trump or Trump pretender actually succeed in Wisconsin be one of the key states. So that's one of the reasons that so much national support from the rest of the country has uh, fell behind uh, Janet Protasiewicz, now a Supreme Court justice-elect in Wisconsin. Her opponent, he refused to concede. He said that she didn't deserve concession. Well, this was a very contentious race, and he, he is really a MAGA candidate. He worked for the Trump campaign to, on the fake elector scheme in Wisconsin as a paid lawyer. He went to Pat Robertson's law school, Regent University Law School, the school that Pat Robertson founded and was the chancellor of. He has a long record of extreme right-wing views. It's his opinion that Judge Protasiewicz is not a legitimate candidate, is unethical, and he doesn't have a worthy opponent that he can concede to. That really has a lot more to do with him seeing the world like a judicial version of Donald Trump, where he can never lose fairly and not, not having any grace himself. It kind of is revealing as to his character that the man couldn't even give a decent concession speech. His concession speech was another attack on his opponent. It wasn't a close race. No, it was not a close race. And in Wisconsin, it was a landslide. Because in Wisconsin, winning by three points is a landslide. It's 10 or 11 points, depending on how the very final votes come out. They, they continue to squeeze out votes. And it was massive turnout. The story of this election is, is that political scientists didn't think it was likely this race would exceed the record in a Wisconsin State Supreme Court race, which was in the height of the workers' rights protests in 2011. There was a state Supreme Court race on the ballot. It actually blew the doors off that one. That had about 1.5 million votes. This looks like it may top 2 million votes. It's over 40% turnout, which is astronomical in an election without a governor's race, a U.S. Senate race, or a presidential race on the ballot. And that's a great story for 2024, because if the Democratic base is dismobilized, it makes it much harder for a Trump or Trump pretender to win Wisconsin in 2024. Was there any one issue that brought people out? Abortion was the big one, because we do a deep canvas program where we talk to vote, have real conversations with voters who are, who are swing voters or could go either way. Those are conversations where you ask people about their issues. Abortion was the overwhelming issue. And I think what's going on, having a lot of conversations personally with these voters and also comparing notes with all of the other people that were doing that, is that it has made it crystal clear, much more than it was before to average voters, that right-wing judges are making policy for us. Who is in the state Supreme Court, who is in the U.S. Supreme Court, now matters a great deal, and their constitutional rights depend on not having right-wing judges. No other issue, even though issues should have landed, right, they were too processy or just too complex for the average person to focus on, this is really cut through, and I think it's very closely related to why the U.S. Supreme Court's uh, public favorability ratings have plummeted since the uh, Hobbs decision. The other issue, which is a Wisconsin state issue more, was what is fair maps, the gerrymandering. It was a distant second, but that was the other one that came up. 
they tried to make it about crime and ran ad after ad after ad about all of the dangerous people that Judge Protasewicz had let out. When you actually asked voters what their issues were, I didn't have one you know, swing voter bring up crime. Their attempt to spend millions in billionaire money to make the issue crime really fell flat compared to both abortion and it compared to gerrymandering. Robert Craig is executive director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. The new court, controlled four to three by liberals, is expected to decide a pending lawsuit challenging the state's 1849 law banning abortion enacted a year after statehood. As the United States faces a devastating crisis of unhoused people wandering streets and crowding shelters, anger over the sight of folks seeking out an existence on the sidelines of society boiled over last week in Reno, Nevada. A driver, identified as David Turner, crashed, as he told police intentionally, into a group of homeless advocates known as Food Not Bombs, killing an unhoused woman and critically injuring a mother-daughter team of advocates. Diamond and Clarissa Roman were handing out free clothing when the vehicle struck. It was one of several similar incidents across the country. The co-founder of the global movement Food Not Bombs is Keith McHenry. He spoke exclusively with the news. On Monday, April 2nd, uh man by the name of, of David Turner drove intentionally into the Food Not Bombs um, meal in Reno, Nevada, killing Michelle Jardine, who's also called Mama Bear, and injuring two Food Not Bombs volunteers, a mother-daughter team who had been volunteering with the Reno chapter for over 10 years, Diamond and Clarissa. And they were helping Michelle get clothing when they were struck. Diamond and Clarissa were both critically injured, uh, rushed to the emergency room. Fortunately, Clarissa's mother, Diamond, was released just yesterday with back injuries, but Clarissa is still in intensive care. She had punctured lung, brain damage, blood on the brain, and so on. Attacks against homeless people by motorists, this has happened also in East Bay of Oakland area relatively recently. And then we have been attacked by a motorist in Santa Cruz a number of times. Fortunately, no one was injured. But it seems like the step up in anti-homeless rhetoric by politicians and anti-homeless laws and hate speech on platforms like Nextdoor.com has just increased the uh, anger towards the homeless community, even though... What's Nextdoor.com? Nextdoor.com is an internet program that actually is in almost every community in the United States. Our local Nextdoor.com is run by a woman by the name of Deborah Elson, who is also a volunteer police officer who has been ticketing the homeless relentlessly in their vehicles so that they get towed. Uh, and she runs an anti-homeless organization called Santa Cruz Neighbors. Nextdoor.com has also been used for instance, in San Jose, California, to try to get rid of food not bombs in St. James Park. It's a frequent platform for anti-homeless rhetoric. And then originally it was started supposedly for neighborhood people to meet each other, but now it's become this hate platform, of which if you say anything positive about homeless people, they kick you off immediately. And I've been kicked off permanently before posting announcement about the annual uh, homeless memorial service. Describe Food Not Bombs. So Food Not Bombs is a worldwide movement that started in uh, when Reagan looked like he might win the uh, his first election in 1980. We collect food that can't be sold from grocery stores, bakeries, and uh, you know other uh, like farmers markets and so on. And we make 
vegan and vegetarian meals that we share on the streets. And we're active in well over a thousand cities and over 70 countries at this point. It's an all-volunteer movement. There's no paid staff. Each group is autonomous and makes its decisions locally, including the actual recipients of the food. You know how many meals Funabom serves? Millions of meals. So, for instance, here in Santa Cruz, we've shared food every single day since the pandemic started when the indoor soup kitchen shut down, and we have roughly 200 or more people a day come to eat and we sh- our, our food we have about seven to ten courses of hot vegan meals that we serve each day plus we give out free clothing as what's happening in reno uh, that's very common for food up bombs chapters to give out free clothing and tents and sleeping bags of the reason they go after Food Not Bombs often is because you're facilitating the homeless people and helping them, and that is inimical to driving them away. Correct. Yeah, there's uh, off like in Houston right now where they're we're being ticketed for serving food. Uh, every, every time we serve food, we get a ticket, and their goal there was to the city government wanted to drive the homeless into this uh, industrial area near a police precinct. So they'd be out of sight, and and no one would would know know um, that there was a homeless crisis. And also, the uh, term "food not bombs" I think has been particularly volatile. We were first initially declared a credible national security threat on in an FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force memo on August 29, 1988. And at that point, there was only uh, 30 food not bombs volunteers in the world. Uh, about 10 in Boston, 10 in San Francisco, and 10 in in Long Beach, California. Protesting your country in time of war, it's as uh, uncomfortable to people in America as it is in Russia right now. Absolutely. It's it's very frightening. In fact... um, Pro-war. Like, we want more war. You should advocate, like, World War II. Like, my grandparents, you know, more war, you know. It's tragic right now as we're facing like a potential, it seems like every day the United States announces more weapons uh, for the war in in, in uh, Ukraine. I keep saying Iraq and Ukraine and, uh, and, you know, now and expanding NATO and, uh, and just trying to push, uh, push us into a global conflict. Also, you know, you know, you know, doing military exercises off the coast of China. So yeah, this is a very, very, uh, um, bleak time and then i've been really shocked at some of my anti-war friends who are opposed to all the previous wars are actually in, in supporting this particular war partially because they don't know that it's gone on for almost nine years now because of the way uh, media restricts information what do we know about the person who f- drove his car into uh, the food not bombs in reno what do we know about this person it, you know the only thing we know is that he's 57 years old we have no idea what his background is. I have been trying to investigate that online, and no, uh, um, you know, there's no real reference to him. There is a casino worker who is listed as a, a David uh, Turner in, in Re- Reno, but I'm not clear that that's the same exact person, and we don't really know um, his political background. Uh, you know, it could, he could be a Trump supporter, but he could just be a person that. Um, you know, has no affiliation with any political party, just as a person who hates homeless people. And we do know that there's been a lot of legislation in the Reno and and, uh, county area um, criminalizing people living outside. And it may be that uh, this person was just inspired to attack them because of uh, 
the rhetoric that is happening in the local media there, or because of some conflict that he potentially had with an unhoused person somewhere in, in the community and is taking it out on food, not bombs. Or he could just perceive us as anti-patriotic, as you had been mentioning, and thought he would lash out. Um, I know the local uh, uh, shelter there, which was near where we were sharing food, was also going after Food Not Bombs themselves. And uh, we had moved to the current location where the attack happened as a result of of anger by the local um, shelter. Why don't they want you feeding people? This is very common of a homeless industrial complex not wanting uh, Food Not Bombs to share food. Uh, we get attacked here in Santa Cruz. It's very, very common because they're, they're people that are uh, basically reaping large amounts of money and they, uh, and they, they profit off of the, of the pain and sorrow of the homeless. And they uh, potentially feel challenged that people can do it without money like we do. Um, like our local shelter here, which has uh, operating budgets of millions and millions of dollars, does not have a food program for homeless people, even though years ago they used to. And uh, we are the uh, only daily meal for homeless people in Santa Cruz. And uh, so I think that there's a certain level of, of anger like that because of the fact that we does not cost us millions of dollars. I mean, I run into many people who were, uh, you know, fought uh, and watched their friends die and watched the, their victims die in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I think there's a powder cake now in the United States of veterans who feel that, uh, you know, that they suffered and that they caused others to suffer essentially for corporate profits. And, uh, and this is, I think, a very dangerous situation to have, like, increased homelessness and poverty while you have a very angry uh, num- numbers of people who uh, you know are displaced because of the economic system and their inability to access stuff that they, you know I mean there's not a day goes by practically where I don't run into a homeless vet who is frustrated that the VA is like not able to be accessed although you know they often do very good services for people or other you know or or they'll be you know campaign saying that we will house every homeless vet and then it turns out that is not the case um so i so i agree this is like a you know we are at the end of an empire it appears and uh this is an empire that is uh, is going to be extremely violent as it goes down and the American public, as well as the people in other countries that are under attack by the United States, are going to feel the brunt of that as it as it happens. And uh, so it, it is very, you know, no wonder there's like massive gun violence in America with the total crazy, you know, um, you know, the whole thing is madness at this point. And uh, and it's uh, you know, it's just a shocking thing to see this level of violence in our country. When it was completely unnecessary, it is unnecessary, and there's, you know, if people ha- had some kind of hope, I think that would, and ha- you know, have play a lot in reducing uh, the total level of violence, including this, these attacks by motorists with their vehicles against the uh, homeless community and against Food Not Bombs. Keith McHenry is co-founder of the global movement Food Not Bombs. And finally... In sad news, whistleblower, government researcher, and peace activist Daniel Ellsberg 
most famous for leaking the Pentagon Papers' secret history of the Vietnam War in the summer of 1971, announced Thursday he had inoperable pancreatic cancer and has been given three to six months to live. That hasn't stopped the loquacious researcher who photocopied thousands of pages of secret government documents that showed the United States had lied to the American public about the objectives of the war. More than 58,000 U.S. troops died over the course of the decades-long war. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Vietnamese also died. Ellsberg has also been a vociferous advocate of whistleblowers like imprisoned WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. The News has conducted at least seven interviews with Daniel Ellsberg since about 2018. In this interview, he discusses former President Richard Nixon and nuclear war. The doomsday clock stands at two minutes before midnight. This symbolic clock maintained by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists signifies the level of nuclear threat to humanity. It's the closest the clock has been to midnight since 1953 during the Cold War. Today, nine countries possess more than 14,000 nuclear weapons. The United States and Russia hold the vast majority of these weapons and keep some 1,800 ready to launch within minutes. It's believed the use of only 100 of these weapons against cities could lead to global cooling, affecting agricultural production and food supply. A conference to build, uh, to build for a new Ban the Bomb movement is scheduled for Sunday, April 14th at the New Jersey Institute of Technology in Newark. It'll also be live-streamed. The two keynote speakers are Daniel Ellsberg, the author best known for leaking the Pentagon Papers, and Robert J. Lifton, who has written about the psychological effects of looming nuclear doomsday. Daniel Ellsberg spoke with WBAI on Wednesday. He says the current strategy called Mutually Assured Destruction or MAD is an existential threat to all humanity. Any deliberate attack like that against the other superpower would almost surely destroy nearly everyone on earth. The price of achieving that peace, that degree of peace, in that fashion has been the continuous operation, the first the build-up, the deployment, the production, the design, and the build-up of forces that were capable of destroying life on earth. And second, uh, having those on a kind of alert, a hair-trigger alert, that allows the possibility that it will go off by accident. In other words, we live, on, in effect, on a precipice, or you could think on the slopes of a volcano, or think of living in New Orleans, for example, where it was well known that a Category 3, 4, 5 hurricane, went, when, if it ever occurred, which was likely eventually, would inundate New Orleans. So in any given year, so far, so good. Uh, they live from year to year, and then the hurricane came along. A hurricane like that, except uh, vastly larger, a thousand, many more than a thousand times, that could happen accidentally either as a result of a false alarm of the kind I've described or uh, escalation from a limited war that got started. Nowadays, you could imagine Russians in the U.S. fighting over Ukraine, for example, or possibly the Baltic states or conceivably in Syria. And any such conflict would have the capability of setting off these hair-trigger forces. So could we have had peace without the existence of systems like that that could destroy life on Earth? 
Virtually, certainly, yes. There was no excuse. You have worked with presidents. I mean, you worked with, as as uh, I remember him well, uh, Richard Nixon. He was a president who uh, would uh, make anybody, uh, you know, chill anybody's blood. And uh, he was definitely a real politics sort of guy, right? Nixon. How is he different from Trump? He was not less racist than Trump, uh, not less aggressive than Trump in many ways, but he kept it to himself. He kept it secret. He was good at keeping secrets and good at lying. And he convinced people that he had not, he, he concealed from them, to put it that way, that he had in fact made nuclear threats uh, imminently to North Vietnam. And I think he was serious about that. That was not a bluff. And the fact was that there was a resistance to Vietnam at that time called the moratorium, where people left work uh, in a weekday, two million of them on October 15th, 1969, which was just weeks before his threats expired on uh, North Vietnam. He planned to carry them out on November 3rd. Now, hardly anybody knew of that at the time. It was very secret. People didn't talk about it. So it was only years later we realized that those people marching in the streets had actually been preventing nuclear war. And that that is the truth. To say that is to say, in my opinion, that Donald Trump doesn't make the world more dangerous. He makes the danger a little more blatant, uh, not necessarily greater than before. Uh, the difference is that the kinds of things Nixon would say privately, although he was taping himself, but he would say privately to his associates that were very anti-Semitic, anti-black, uh, very bigoted, but privately. And uh, Trump says that same sort of thing openly and appears more impulsive uh, openly, so people are more aware of the danger. I would say the danger isn't necessarily greater now than it's been at various times in the past, uh, but it's continuing. It's not getting less, and that's basically intolerable. To be rebuilding these systems now uh, is uh, unforgivable at the cost of $1.7 trillion to rebuild them. And, uh, when in fact it would be worth money on that scale to get rid of most of them. What did you think of your depiction in the movie about the Washington Post? <laughs> well, I was played by a very good actor, uh, Matthew Reese, who happens to look quite a bit the way I did at the time, only better. So that's good. I can't ask for more. Uh, some of the scenes involving me were the one with me in McNamara, for example, were taken word for word from my book, Secrets, a memoir of Vietnam and the Pentagon Papers, where uh, <laughs> McNamara had just told me that the situation in Vietnam was much worse this year, 1966, than the year before. And then minutes later, literally, I was telling a, uh, we, were, we were just landing, uh, telling a press conference on the ground that we were making great progress in every dimension. I was uh, rather shocked by that at the time, but that scene in the movie is very accurate. What makes politicians lie like that when it really doesn't seem to be to their benefit or the country's benefit? To keep his job under Johnson. He, by that time, understood that the war was thoroughly stalemated uh, at best. That's what he said to me on the plane. He'd been saying that for roughly a year, but he wanted to be Secretary of Defense, in part, not entirely for selfish reasons. He was helping Johnson keep the Joint Chiefs from using nuclear weapons against Vietnam. Good. And he felt that he alone 
was the man to do that. But at the same time, uh, he did like the power and the prestige and the influence of being Secretary of Defense. And if he'd said to Johnson what he said to me, President Johnson, uh, or put it another way, if he'd said it publicly, uh, he would have been fired, as he was basically one year later when he did say to Johnson privately that we should negotiate and get out. That was in 67. Well, the war had eight years to go. So I wish he had done that then. But frankly, very, very, very few officials do uh, tell the truth, even to their bosses, certainly to the public, at the cost of their jobs. You just don't see that. Johnson wanted, didn't want to lose the war, is that it? He knew he couldn't win the war except for brief intoxicated moments, you might say. But uh, he didn't want to lose it. And McNamara did his job, kept his job, kept him from losing it at the cost of 58,000 American lives and millions of Vietnamese. Daniel Ellsberg is the author of numerous books. His most recent is The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner, recounting his days working on nuclear war fighting plans for the Pentagon. A conference to build a new Ban the Bomb movement is scheduled for Sunday, April 14th at the New Jersey Institute of Technology in Newark. It will also be live streamed. Godspeed, Daniel Ellsberg. And that's the news. You can hear the news at pauldurianso.com or as The Torch, 1 p.m. Sundays on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. Well, you used to laugh about everybody that was singing out. Thank you. Yeah.